0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin from Zuma Radio AM 740.
1: Happy Easter and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is indeed the Conspiracy Show. Congratulations, you found us. Now, come on inside, hang your cloak and a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. You are among friends. A uh, trance, clairvoyant, spiritual healer, author, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is standing by. Canada's Edgar Casey uh, to talk about the resurrection mystery, Christ consciousness, and Jesus as avatar. Uh, just a, uh, a, a note: there is no hangout on air tonight. No HOA. We're not streaming live on YouTube, but we'll resume that next week when Elbert Vinzel, my story producer, returns. Uh, just a reminder: the Bilderbergs, my next event. It's a, uh, an exclusive featuring investigative reporter Daniel Estulin. And that's happening Sunday, April the 17th, from 4 to 8 p.m. at the University of Toronto, J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. Uh, Daniel will present his new documentary film, Bilderberg, the movie, followed by a 90-minute lecture. And for more details on how to order tickets, uh, just go to the live events page at strangeplanet.ca strangeplanet.ca you can order tickets right there online Uh, or you can order them in store just go visit my friends Patrick and Kadena at uh, Conspiracy Culture at uh, 1344 Bloor Street West and you can again buy them in store or order them over the phone at 416-916-1696 again 416-916-1696 Uh, or online at their website, conspiracyculture.com. Bilderberg's with Daniel Estulin, Sunday, April 17th, University of Toronto. Hope to see you there. Uh, Incidentally, uh, I've posted a a new video trailer uh, for the event, which you can see by visiting our YouTube channel for The Conspiracy Show, Uh, and you can also find it on my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. And uh, Daniel Estulin, incidentally, will be on the program next week. Uh, for a bit of a, a sneak peek of his presentation coming up on the 17th. And Daniel, again, a Pulitzer Prize nominee, also nominated for a Nobel Prize for all his work investigating the Bilderbergs. And he's addressed parliaments all over the world and met with world leaders, including uh, Fidel Castro. He'll tell you all about that at the event. Uh, Albert and I have posted our usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits in the slide carousel. Just go to strangeplanet.ca. That's the landing page, and then from there you can click on the radio page for The Conspiracy Show. And at the top is the slide carousel. So if you're interested uh, in robots and the race towards artificial intelligence, I think you'll enjoy an article from sciencealert.com, which is asking the fundamental question of what exactly is consciousness and can we replicate it? Uh, And then it explores whether or not robot consciousness could be on the horizon. Uh, And in a a frightening and disturbing expose from intellihub.com, about the privatization of government-sponsored cyber-stalking and how the FBI and the NSA outsource their harassment of targeted targeted individuals and watch-listed individuals to private firms. Again, those are just two of the feature articles Albert, my story producer, and I have posted uh, on the slide carousel. Go to strangeplanet.ca, click on the radio page for The Conspiracy Show, and again, the slide carousel is right there at the top. Okay, let's talk about the mysticism of the Easter season. Douglas James Cottrell, Ph.D., is best known as a trance clairvoyant He's a spiritual healer, teacher, published author who demonstrates many abilities studied by noetic sciences, including clairvoyance, telepathy, energy healing, remote viewing, prediction, and prophecy. He's one of a select few able to demonstrate all of these abilities and even fewer who are considered a reliable information source. Dr. Douglas Cottrell teaches people the world over about spiritual development through the practice of meditation and the application of spiritual principles in daily life. Douglas, James Cottrell, how are you, my friend? Uh,
2: I'm fine tonight. Thank you very much for having me on this show. It's always a pleasure.
1: Now, before we begin to talk about uh, Easter, the Easter season, the resurrection, uh, Jesus Christ, and so forth, I do want to uh, harken back to a previous show uh, when you made a, uh, a prediction about, you know, Hillary Clinton would end up in the White House. And, of course, it looks like she's going to be the uh, the nominee uh, you know, unless there's some, you know, tremendous unforeseen circumstance, like she ends up in jail. I don't know, but uh, not a popular, a popular prediction um, in certain camps. But, uh, you know, it's looking pretty good at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's true. I made that years ago. I think even before she was a senator, I first made that prediction when I was in Rhode Island. And uh, the number one criticism of myself on the internet, as I'm told by my staff, is that I have predicted that Hillary Clinton will be the next president of the United States of America. Now, I'm a Canadian. I don't, I, you know, I don't get to vote, but that seems to be the big criticism. She will be uh, the president. And I think on the Coast to Coast show, we kind of headed up way, way, way back, uh, sort of uh, headed up who the Republican candidate was going to be. It looks like it's going to be Mr. Trump as well. So right. the two of them will probably tee off. And that, I guess that was over a year ago we made that prediction. That uh, it we,
1: uh, was. It was. Uh, although Trump's road to the nomination is getting bumpier and bumpier, it looks like the uh, the uh, the GOP establishment, is going. they're going to do anything and everything to... Uh, Uh, to prevent him from from getting that nomination. However, we are uh, heading into the Easter season, so I wanted to talk to you. Uh, First of all, we have discussed this, I think, in the past, and that is as a remote viewer. Have you ever had occasion to remote view the crucifixion?
2: Yes, I've done uh, those uh, quantum meditations where we have uh, been able to look back in time and actually see... What went on, uh, my friend Ross Peterson, who was my mentor, uh, called the New Edgar Casey in the book by Alan Spraggett. actually told me I was there uh, in a previous incarnation. My name was Zebedee, and uh, um, I always felt close to Christ. As a matter of fact, I even felt envious that he was able to do what he did uh, in a nice way. I don't, I don't mean envy in a bad way. And uh, when uh, when the idea about how the crucifixion happened with the ropes and the T-bar rather than a cross, the idea that it was a uh, torturous execution of suffocation, uh, that the whole idea was uh, that the person's weight, would, uh, their body would cave over, they couldn't breathe, and uh, they would have to force themselves to stand up uh, painfully with that spike in their ankles uh, so they could breathe and then of course they would uh, they would give into the uh, torture again and collapse and their ropes were used to pull them up over back over top of the t-bar uh, that this was a uh, very painful situation and why they broke the legs of the condemned men at the end was so that they couldn't push themselves up
1: right to hasten the haste death to hasten death so they, exactly. they would they would asphyxiate but of course which is interesting because uh, well the the shroud of Turin the uh, the image on the shroud there the, indicates that that Christ's legs and and many believe that that was his image on the shroud, the leg was not broken because when they when they when the Roman centurion stuck the uh, the lance into the side of Christ uh, and and produced uh, thoracic bleeding, which was water mixed with blood indicating that he was already dead. there was no need to break his. His uh, his legs, which is interesting, and, uh,
2: and one of the predictions as to how he was going to, how the Messiah was going to die. Uh, the whole idea, though, the, all those details in the uh, uh, accounts in the Bible of how Jesus went through this uh, crucifixion are specific and and indeed important to analyze. And one of them is that his legs weren't broken. And as you said, the shroud uh, of is a demonstration that that person who was crucified. With all the marks on the forehead, as the crown of thorns, the, the bleeding in the back of the hands—you know—the spikes weren't put through the palm; they were put through the wrists. Right. The, the weight of a person cannot be held by the an inch in a hand. So, all those marks that were on the shroud a trend, were indicative of what was the account of this. Possibly, highly probably, was the uh, uh, was the shroud that covered the Jesus, the Christ, and when. Uh, in research I did, it was how did it not become unmarked, you know, when they would when they unravel the body, because it would have been, the blood would have uh, coagulated, and there would have been more disturbance, if, it were, if you will. And the uh, the reason I bring that up is that Jesus, when he ascended, uh, dematerialized, if I could use that term, his atoms separated, and he floated up through the shroud. And in the Bible, it's recounted that uh, Mary outside the tomb, uh, I believe, um, Mary Martha, uh, said, uh, you know, he said, don't touch me. I've not been made whole yet. And what he meant is that he hasn't, you know, the body hadn't come back together yet. It hadn't been uh, reconstructed, if you will, at that, that atomic level. So, again, the idea that he floated up, uh, dematerialized as part of this resurrection process, there's more evidence uh, as to what happened. Right, right. it wasn't made whole.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, after, and I've studied the shroud for, for many years and, and talked to some top researchers in the <clears> field, <throat> and, and uh, to me, what makes the most sense is that the image on the shroud, it's not paint, it's not scorched, uh, it seems to be the result of a, a radiation a, a event. Would you agree Which, with that?
2: Yes, exactly. Why his? I, I believe you know, extrapolating to spontaneous combustion, and I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that too much. But that is the same type of thing that happened with the, with this huge heat, this radiation of the cells dematerializing, or 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 that that I guess that uh, that shock, if I can call it that, when they when it that would heated up and would in, and uh, put that image on the on the implanted that image or. Or stain the image on there. Yes, I absolutely agree.
1: Doctor Douglas James Cottrell, remote viewer, clairvoyant, intuitive, medical, uh, medical intuitive, and healer, published author, of course, speaker. Um, now, how do you, as a, um, as a, uh, as a remote viewer, as a, uh, a medical intuitive, and in all of these disciplines that you bring uh, to this to this uh, discussion, and how do you view? Uh, the resurrection?
2: Okay. Well, let's summarize my ability as just being clairvoyant, okay? And uh, that means clear seeing. And in a higher level of consciousness, um, we're able to see more. We become self-aware, we become uh, fully aware, we become self-realized and fully realized. These are all stages or steps that we all take to develop our spiritual abilities or gifts. And so, The resurrection, in a metaphysical, spiritual sense, is a demonstration that we are on a uh, path that leads us to that ultimate realization, that resurrection of ourself as a spiritual being in a physical form. And a more uh, common term for that is avatar, a spiritual being in a physical body. And certainly there have been many avatars in history, the, the, the latest one that I know of would be Sathya Sai Baba uh, in India who's passed away. The, the point being is that in viewing the resurrection, it is, as all the stories in the Bible uh, are there for a reason of our spiritual progression, the Red Sea is a story is a time when there's no place else to go, just trust and have faith and go ahead. Job on the Ash Pile, is that you come to that lesson when all your material wealth, your friends and family, that's not the sustaining trust. Trust is in God, and so you, if you put yourself, your trust and your faith in things, they're going to abandon you. Uh, these stories throughout the Bible are showing us our spiritual progression, and each one of those stories happens to us along our spiritual progression while we're here to the point of the resurrection, which is basically the old self dies. That part of you that commits uh, transgressions, that gives in to uh, temptations, uh, the selfish hedonism side of of you, the physical mundane self, that dies. And when it dies, you lose that desire for material things. You begin to find the higher, more permanent things of the spiritual world, and the influences of the higher dimensions or god so the resurrection is basically a death of the old self the ego if you will the personality that you know dark side if i can call it that of of human nature and you become more aware and self-realized and become fully realized and your resurrection is basically the new you.
1: We're going to go into a, a
2: break here, uh, Douglas. But before we do,
1: let me ask you a quick question, get a quick response. But as a remote viewer, you were there. So there, uh, we're not talking metaphorically here. The the, resur- the the crucifixion, resurrection, as you have remote viewed it, is an historical fact.
2: Absolutely. No doubt about it.
1: All right. We will uh, take a time out, come back, and uh, continue to talk with remote viewer, clairvoyant, medical intuitive, Dr. James Douglas Cottrell,
0: right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett, heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, Call now, 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740.
1: We are back with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell. And uh, tell us a little bit about the the center out there in Hamilton
2: Beach. Okay, we founded, uh, my wife, my family, and I have founded the Mini Mansion Spiritual Center uh, you can check it out on the website mmsci.org. Again, many Mansion Spiritual Center Inc. It's a, uh, a nonprofit organization. We do spiritual healing there. We practice all the spiritual gifts recounted in the Bible, First Corinthians chapter 12. Dream interpretation, uh, communication with higher divine beings, angels, and the like. And also, it's a progression of. Uh, through the spiritual gifts of one becoming fully realized so we teach those things we demonstrate them and recently we have now a uh, integrated health center developed in the basement where people are, are putting together therapists are putting together these uh, marvelous therapies to help people uh, get physically better but the center is primarily a spiritual center it sits on top of a spiritual vortex bigger better than the one in arizona in sedona arizona it's a naturally occurring vortex because the center sits on the Beach Boulevard, which is out in the out in the lake between Lake Ontario, one side and the Hamilton Harbor and the other. And the strata or whatever's under that area seems to cause a spiritual, creative, healing vortex energy. And people who come there can feel it. Not just because we say it, they can feel it. And we do miracle healing there where people are instantly... Cured, healed, if you will, through prayer and healing touch of their uh, physical sufferings, and also financially, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, a uh, healing takes place as well. We don't claim anything, we don't uh, promise anything, and we don't charge any money.
1: What What are the physics behind the healings that you perform? Is it the same? Is it the same technique that that Jesus was was in fact utilizing?
2: Has to be. Uh, That energy that we have within ourselves, and I could say life force, I could say chi energy, I could say kundalini energy, all those names from the various spiritual organizations in the world, the great religions of the world, if you will, have different names for it. But that energy is a creative energy, and Jesus was able uh, to—Jesus the Christ, as I prefer to call him—was able to cause matter to change, a withered hand to unfold. Uh, The Miracle of the Crippled Man at the Well. Uh, That was a testament that when you do get a healing, you don't go around bragging about it. Just accept your healing and remember that you have a purpose for a disease. That particular man's story was uh, was there, if you will, crippled all that time, and Jesus instantly healed him or he was relieved of his uh, sin or his difficulty, his karma, whatever term you like to use, And he got up and walked around, and all the townspeople said, Hey, what happened? Aren't you that fellow down by the well? And they said, Yes. Who did it? They said, That fellow Jesus over there. And then they all went after Jesus and chased him out of town. So the point being is that there was a purpose for that. That man was a demonstration of uh, Jesus the Christ's ability. Now, to answer the question directly, Yes, the heat comes out of my hands also, there's energy that comes out of my, my chest, my heart chakra, or heart. Uh, the seven churches in the, in the Bible refer to the seven chakras, the same thing. And my whole body becomes a, uh, a tuning fork, if I can put that, with healing energy. My aura expands and people can see these things, I'm not just making this up, and they can feel it. And sometimes people are shocked by this energy to the point they become woozy or dizzy. Or they even fall down at the miracle transformation events. And we're having one in Toronto on April the 2nd at the uh, Holiday Inn in Toronto. And people, I've been going there for years, have had that same experience where they feel that energy and instantly they're relieved of some ache or pain. Now, in some people, it's varying degrees. Incrementally, they get better. But in some cases, and a lot of the time, it's instantly done. The same is all those uh, uh, stories in the Bible. You remember where Jesus was walking in a crowd and a lady touched him, touched his gown, and he immediately turned around and said, Who touched me? I could feel virtue coming out of my body. This energy was coming through him going out of his body and caused healing in someone else's. And a very basic way of saying it is it's like a, a battery that's been uh, that's lost its charge. A stronger battery comes by you, you boost the weaker battery, and instantly it it's enlivened and it's able to function, and and keeps on charging itself up. The same way with a spiritual body, I think we are sorry, with a physical body, I think the spiritual forces affect the atoms and the uh, cells in the body in the same manner. It improves them. The same if you take it to the extreme. that We were talking about a minute ago that the cells of Jesus' body were able to separate and ascend.
1: Right. Now in, in um, I think it's John fourteen twelve, uh Jesus said, uh, Very uh, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. What do you think he
2: meant by that? Exactly what it means. It means if you believe in the Christ consciousness, if you believe uh, that there is uh, you know, a um, spiritual side of you, a soul, And that he demonstrated, he was the example. When he says, you believe in me, it's not really he, the man, that you have to believe in. It's that you believe in the Christ consciousness, the spiritual essence, your high self or your soul, that part of you that is good. It's the spirit inside of you that decides to do good. And if you believe in the good, then you can do spiritual healing. Physically, you can relieve uh, people from all kinds of suffering. Even if they're not in the same place you are, we have a We Will Pray For You program at Many Mansion Spiritual Center, where people send us emails through the website and make prayer requests, and we're able to, with prayers, because you always have to ask, you have free will and free choice, you have to ask for uh, a a benefit, a, a relief, if you will, and that energy goes out to people. And when we do this in the center, I tell people, look at the clock. It's quarter after three. When you get home, call up your mummy in Saskatchewan and see if she felt something at three o'clock. And usually the person is, if they were depressed or in bed, they're up singing, cooking in the kitchen, doing something. And they can go back and say, exactly a quarter after three, I felt this. This energy is exactly the same. Jesus was the example. Jesus was uh, was the first one, if I can put it that way, that showed us our way to enlightenment and that spiritual abilities, prophecy, uh, prophetic dreams, interpreting dreams, being able, as he did, to talk to angels, and to he he knew a lot about anatomy, and being able to do spiritual healing is something that shows a person's progression. Now, he was able to do it without doubt. You remember one of the stories he admonished his disciples and he said, oh you men of little faith, when they brought, I think it was the legions man who was called legions because he was possessed of many demons. Even demons, dark forces are out there. They're in the astral plane. I call them astral plane uh, entities, and I prefer to call them munchkins, if you will.
1: <laughs> What's the idea there? If you give them a kind of an innocuous name, they're they're less threatening, or
2: that's right. I, uh, they are not. Uh, they are not powerful at all. They are they are fearful uh, of the light. And when I look at somebody, if there's an attachment. And I can see that little face hiding in somebody's aura behind their head, and I can see them. They run away. They are afraid of being exposed. They are afraid of light. The last thing you want to do to uh, to deal with these entities is to fear them because it empowers them. So I call them munchkins, and uh, elementals is another term I use. And they basically scatter, they go away. They do attach, there are the astral plane, which is, there's several heavens. Our Mormon friends would say five, our Hindu friends would say fifteen, Uh, the Catholics would say three, heaven, hell, and purgatory. So the point being is that there are different consciousness or levels out there, and I'm not here to teach or, or, or profess what they are, but there are levels of consciousness or heavens. And these lower entities, uh, this is where they hang out. These are earthbound entities, and why you see uh, why the phenomena of ghosts or ghost people, as I like to call them, are prominent, because these are earthbound people. They haven't realized that there's higher dimensions in which they ultimately will ascend to. Whether it's a low heaven or a high heaven depends on how much good they did. But, yes, I, I give them names so you don't fear them, and they are, as Jesus said, they're easy to chase away because they're not supposed to be there. Let me ask you this,
1: uh, uh, Douglas. You you mentioned you refer to to Jesus, the Christ, as an avatar. But do you you believe he was, in fact, the Son of God? Same thing. It is the same thing. Interesting.
2: Yeah, a spiritual being in a physical body having the greatest physical uh, life experience one can hope to have while still in the body. Now, he was extra special. No two ways about that. To say that he was the Son of God, well, that opens the door up to interpretations, and I would prefer to say that he was an avatar. He was a perfect being, and he was the first. But he came with a mission to show us, who all of us who live in the dark, uh, the uninitiated or the spiritually dead or the spiritually, you know, um, sort of uh, in, in the darkness. He said, here's the way. I am the light, I am the resurrection, meaning my way, being good and compassionate, and of all the avatars and saints in history, he's the only one that is attributed to compassion. The compassion of the Christ was foremost the thing that separates him from all the other spiritual beings in the past, Moses and the like. And so he, with the compassion, I am the light, I am the way, meaning I am the awareness, I am the consciousness and if you follow me if you're compassionate and loving you will get to heaven and basically there is no other way
1: and as a remote viewer uh have you have you been there have you seen heaven and if so what what does it look like
2: well i can tell you i've seen dimensions where i've seen places where there are three people standing, and they looked like they were in Venetian clothes, and they were philosophers and whatnot, and they looked at me. I was coming up through a cloud, and they looked at me, and then I realized, how can I be climbing up through a cloud? And I woke up. <laughs> I was in another time uh, where I was uh, uh, seeing these faces, and they were beautiful faces, and the most important Uh, religious experience one can have is a moment I call bliss, where you are completely surrounded by unconditional love, so much so that somebody can say your car was just stolen, your house burned to the ground, your family run off, uh, and you're all by yourself. And you say, I don't care. I don't want to come back. I am so happy. That moment of bliss in other religions, they uh, account for it and I think in the Christian religions is when you're in the Spirit, it is a moment of absolute, unconditional, pure love. Now, I've seen God's face, and it looks like the sun. It's bright white. And you think it's going to hurt your eyes when you're looking at it. And so twice I've seen it. The first time it kind of moved away and only let me see half of it, knowing I was afraid. And the second time, I could see the gaze of this white, bright light. I've seen other things, the all-seeing eye. I have seen uh, uh, angels where they're they're once talking and the other isn't. And they're in a realm that is so peaceful it's so quiet. Uh, I've also seen other places that are not so quiet and they're dark. But, again, there are many levels, many... Heavens, if you will, but I have seen the face of God, and I'm not trying to claim it. I'm just that's, I think it's one of the first times I've ever said it on the air, but I have been visited by Jesus. He showed me a pool of lights where everybody was like little fireflies going in circles, and I went over and I looked at him, and I said, "Yes, Master, but what about those people And I pointed over to some place where it was like a barn and there were chains and whatever, and there were little white pearls in the in the barn and and then when I looked around, he, was, he wasn't in front of me anymore, but he gave me a big hug before he left. And that's when I realized that the message he was giving me was all these lights were the people still going in circles and buzzing around in the world down there in this little pond, and that I was not to, not to uh, put pearls in front of swine, so to speak. Because I was, I was in my cloak and sandals stage. I wanted everybody to find the way.
1: <laughs> right, right, so. as we all do. Uh, we all do. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is uh, with us. The website, Dr. sorry, the website is DouglasJamesCottrell.com. Let me spell the last name. It's C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L. douglasjamescottrell.com. More of our
0: conversation when the conspiracy show returns. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to the conspiracy show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, remote viewer,
1: medical intuitive, clairvoyant uh, author, the complete new age health guide a new world and uh, also well the, sort of the uh, this this book goes back a few years but we're talking about uh, uh, the resurrection and and uh, Jesus Christ and so forth it being easter time so uh Jesus the Christ hidden uh, his hidden life and teachings when did that book come out
2: uh, it was more of a book that we've combined them now. It was; uh, it's got to be out at least five years. I was thinking um, longer, but, about five years. Yeah, we were. Uh, we had mentioned that Jesus was married, and then when that Papias uh, paper was found referring to Jesus' wife, uh, that confirmed what I had said a couple of years before that. Um, I, I feel very close. I, I, I would like everybody to see that Jesus the Christ was not some unapproachable uh, um, high being. He was a real person, and he communicated with people. He went through his Jewish religion uh, ceremonies as he grew up. Uh, he obeyed his, uh, the teachings of Moses, and then he became, uh, when his cousin John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River, he became Jesus the Christ when that dove or energy from above came down and basically made him the Christ. And that's when his cousin uh, John said, my God, you know, uh, it's you you're the Messiah. And then he, John had his disciples encourage them to follow Jesus. So Jesus became the Christ at that moment in time. He was spiritually endowed with all the powers of of, of knowledge of all things and the ability to heal and control things, the weather uh, and everything else. So he was the Christ. He was a matter of God incarnate, if you will. And as such, you uh, know that particular example is that we too can control our environment, we can and should help each other, and we should obey and stick to our our uh, religious upbringings, but also to understand that he went beyond his religious teachings, and he went out into the world teaching uh, as an example, as an example to love one another and to forgive our enemies and always do good or right the
1: idea that he was married, I have to admit, you know as an Orthodox Christian, it's certainly not part of our faith tradition, and, and it is a very controversial idea for many Christians, uh, although um, uh, I, I, there was a documentary released not too long ago uh, by a, a gentleman, a Canadian, by the name of Simka Jakubowicz, who who uh, presented some pretty compelling evidence that, uh, that he was married. Um, I mean... Why do you think
2: the it church?
1: Why do you think the church has such difficulty? Does it change anything if he was married?
2: Well, remember the uh, it wasn't till uh, forty or fifty years after his death that Paul the apostle began to write of it, and the Bibles were, the Bible is a, a series of books written by his disciples, men and women, and throughout history, some of those uh, disciples' writings have disappeared. Uh, and, as the Dead Sea Scrolls indicate, there was more of the acceptance of reincarnation now reincarnation is a simple concept if you look at it from a perspective
3: well
1: yeah that 's another matter i was I was talking about his marriage, but yes while we 're on it the reincarnation and, and the the there are there is a school of thought saying that that was uh, removed uh, I guess during the Nicene Council or perhaps earlier. the whole notion of reincarnation removed from the Bible, so you believe that it was well, part of the teachings.
2: Well, irrespective of the teachings, because my motto is faith is built upon belief and belief is built upon evidence. Jesus was an example to give us evidence, and no one can advance spiritually unless you have some evidence of the spiritual uh, world consciousness, if you will. And that's why those spiritual gifts are listed in the book of Corinthians. But to the point that if a soul has the ability to come into a physical body, this one that we're in now, Who's to say that it can't do it again or that it hasn't done it before? I'm not that connected to God, and I don't know any person in the world who's that connected with God Almighty and the spiritual realms to be able to say, yay or nay, that the, the reincarnation is, a, is a, uh, in a Christian perspective, uh, non-existent. I just can't believe it because it doesn't make sense. How can somebody come into a life of pure misery or a child be born and live for six weeks or six months and die and not have the benefit of this physical experience, this lesson or teaching time? So that said, moving back to his being married, he was a Jewish man. He was in a Jewish faith that allowed marriage to to the rabbis, and he was a rabbi. So there's no reason to say why he wouldn't be married. And he did have some special lady friends around him, didn't he?
1: He did that, yes, he certainly did. Um, what about in some traditions, the idea that, that Jesus Christ traveled during you know, those lost years, or perhaps uh, to places like uh, India? What do you think of that?
2: Absolutely. I've done it myself. I have gone to India, I've gone to Spain, I've gone to South America... I've gone to wherever I could find places that I thought were uh, important, where I could find uh, spiritual beings, teachers, mentors, if you will. I went there. Why wouldn't he do that? He went to Greece. uh, He went to Spain. Uh, He was attempting, I think, in his later life to find the lost tribes of Israel and try to get them to come back and be friends again, because they separated under warlike hostility. And I think his, one of his missions personally was to try to get the uh, tribes back together again.
3: All right, listen, but we're going to take a, a
1: time out, uh, Douglas. When we do, we'll uh, one more segment awaits, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe we can talk about um, some other uh, visions, remote viewing sessions that you've done, maybe talk about some uh, Earth changes and so forth. We'll come back with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's
0: smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell stays with us right
1: here on The Conspiracy Show, Remote Viewer, Medical Intuitive. Uh, Tell us about uh, your upcoming event on April the 2nd. Are you teaching people how to do quantum quantum meditation?
2: I am, yes. W5 just said something about that there's no way that anybody can see the future. Well, I've said I have seen the future, and we've made predictions on your show for 10, 15, 20 years over the different radio stations we've been on. They've all come—not all of them, but most of them—have come true. Uh, we teach people how to do uh, spiritual healing and to develop themselves into the same ability as Edgar Cayce, Ross Peterson, or Paul Solomon. And I have done it, and I can prove it. That we can teach people how to look into someone else's. Uh, physical condition and come up with what the problem is and what remedies to take even though they've never met the person which is what I do every day and on the weekend on the second of uh, Saturday uh, April the second in Toronto at our at our home away from home at the uh, Holiday Inn I will be uh, there with some friends we will have other practitioners who will have tables there that people can uh, partake and look at their wares I'll be doing a lecture and most importantly we'll be laying hands on people who request it or would like to experience it and this is uh where people might faint or fall down uh certainly everyone feels better or different and this is the same practice uh this is our sort of our easter time if you will our event here in toronto and this is something that can be i think when you, when you demon, when it when it's demonstrated to you in honesty, without hopeless pocus, it's explained logically, and then you begin to feel the healing energies or your hands get warm. Uh, more and more people discover that they have this ability, whether they call it Reiki or pranic healing or any kind of ring on a fan, it doesn't matter what the name is. It's that same force that Jesus the Christ was demonstrating, and this is what in that same way, I'm following the steps of Jesus, if you will, and I'm not trying to make a big deal out of that, but I'm trying to do my part in helping.
3: And again, we
2: asked for a contribution helping for the room, but I never, ever have set a fee for spiritual healing, ever, because I, I think this is uh, the divine working through me and with my ability to be able to transmute this energy because I've done it for 40 years, I get really warm, too. And uh, the people who are there, they heat up, they feel the energy, and on Wednesday night at the at the Mini Mansion Spiritual Center, we have a Wednesday night healing prayer circle uh, again at seven thirty till nine, and we do it every week. So it's our weekly church service, if you will, and then these monthly services are extra special.
1: All right, and give us the details on the uh, the the one
2: that's upcoming downtown Toronto. And this is uh April the second it's uh at uh, around noon till five o'clock uh noon to four actually a little bit of cleanup time. There'll be people there and the, the service will be about one o'clock or so, so people can come and just come in and enjoy the day. There'll be some very interesting people there. You know for the future, we're looking at um the world changing so much uh that I've predicted this on your show. There's going to be more volcanic activity, there's going to be more earth changes. And the reason all these things are happening is because of the attitude and the hatred and the callousness. This is this is leading us to a world that's going to fall apart, if you will. The world's going to spin backwards. It's going to—the world is tilting now. The oceans are heating up. The one thing that can stop this, as the Hopi Indians uh, predicted, we have a, a way out. We have an escape hatch, and that is to take care of each other, to stop this— This absolute madness is taking place now in the world. Uh, Look at the refugees that need to be taken care of, the ones from Africa going into Europe, never mind Syria. By the way, that was predicted in my book, The New Earth, uh, a couple of years ago. The whole idea that uh, the world is is spinning out of control, it can be brought in control. One simple thing, and that is to stop corruption. Anybody who can hear my voice, you want to be a better spiritual being, you want to just be a good person, you want to help the world, stop corruption in yourself, your family, your neighborhood, your, your business, your, your job, wherever you can. Don't be a party to corruption. Avoid it like the plague, and you will change the world. And this is the first thing. Jesus was doing the same. He was stopping corruption. You'll see the stories where he was talking to people about the, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, and there's a story about a donkey in a hole, and he said to the people, who on the Sabbath would not know and rescue their donkey out of a hole? Is that, is that the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, meaning they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath? And if they did, they would be punished severely. So he was trying to be compassionate, he was trying to say, uh, don't give in to corruption, and certainly the way of peace as he is a Prince of Peace, is the way we should all follow. And again, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all the spiritual gifts are listed there. Don't be afraid to have a revealing prophetic dream. And when somebody does something good for you, be grateful and pass it on, so to speak. It's easy to be just like Jesus. Just be compassionate and respectful, and you become a better person overnight.
1: How do you um, perceive... Uh, biblical end times uh, revelation do you I mean do you subscribe to that do you see yeah. for example events in the Mideast East un- unfolding according to prophecy
2: they have already ten years ago or more we had uh, when the oil fields were blowing up we had that sky uh, there was predicted the sky would be dark as night in the middle of the day that happened If you go back and look at some of the indicators of what's going to happen, we're there. The Earth is heating up. The volcanic activity in the world is enormous. Uh, When volcanic ash fills the sky, uh, it's going to stop the growing seasons. And the the oil wells, when they spill out into the oceans, the oceans are going to go black. These are all the predictions in biblical times that have been foreseen. We're there now. Uh, Nation against nation is going to gather all in one force, uh, sorry, one area, and I think that's when we're going to go after the terrorists in the Middle East. But the nations are now gathering, and what is the great evil in the world is terrorism. This is the great beast. If you look at the 666, this is it. The beast is out there right now, and we have to conquer it. And how do we conquer it? By love. But Donald Trump's appearance in the world is foreshadowing the appearance of other strong men. One man in Europe is going to come out in the same way. Uh, Businessmen, he's he's setting the example, I'm, I'm afraid, for people to come out in power and to put forward the same idealism that he's doing. I'm not calling him any names or inferring anything. I'm just saying he's a forerunner for that powerful person, that antichrist is going to be, in Europe coming forward. He's just he's just setting the stage and showing that there are a lot of a lot of people who are angry out there and they're angry at the most vulnerable and weakest people uh there, the the immigrants and this hatred and this anger. This is giving into the dark side. This is exactly the wrong thing to do. And the world is full of it. That's why he's gaining prominence here and why corruption in Africa and other places is taking place. There's African immigrants have been fleeing out of Africa for for ten for the last five years that I know of, and they've been migrating into Spain because of the horrendous conditions in Africa. Yet it's quietly done. So the Middle East is the is the uh, fulcrum point. It's the tinderbox, and Turkey. Uh, I've said on your show before, Turkey is the place where, if there's any kind of atomic activity or nuclear activity, that's where it's going to start. In Turkey, in Turkey, and. If we look to Etna and Mount uh, Vesuvius uh, going off simultaneously, this is the end times of the Earth changes where horrific um, loss of life is going to happen because the oceans are going to rock out of their, out of their uh, basins, not because of those the, uh, volcanic eruptions, but because they're a sign. Those two going off at the same time, the countdown starts.
1: You attribute this cataclysmic event to the the Earth's uh, crust uh, sort of breaking away from the core and sort of spinning out of control. Is that the idea? Well,
2: well no, I actually saw that in a vision, and, and you were the first radio show I announced it on when you were at the other place. And that was that the Earth's core is spinning at a different speed than the crust. Right, right. And then about two years, I, I remember I challenged Dr. Suzuki on your show to have a look at it. I don't know if he ever did. But a couple of years after that, or five years later, scientists came up and said, yes, indeed, the Earth's core is spinning at a different speed than the crust. Which, like an orange, we have the center of the orange turning inside the peel of the orange, which means friction, which means heat. And those plates, uh, the African-European plates coming together the Pacific uh, North American plate is coming together, and we're going to see the Rocky Mountains collapse. We're going to see the Alps collapse. We're going to see all kinds of things happen instantly, and I don't mean like one second, but instantly over what a month or two or some some short period of time because these plates are going to sink, and the mountains, which used to be below sea sea level, are going to just return back to their level, if you will, level... um, uh, or oh, that level is the, the same height as they as they were before flat Earth. So a lot of changes can happen very quickly because of this uh, cauldron of, of molten lava that's, you know, bubbling up now. New islands, new volcanoes are appearing at the, in the ocean and new land masses are being formed. This is what's going on right now. And what
1: about, uh, you know, before all of that, uh, um, do you foresee world war? Uh, let's say within the next five years. I mean, is there is there any? I've n-
2: you... I ne- I never seen a world war. What I've seen is that there, this uh, there could be atomic explosions in Iran and Iraq, and that the oil fields are going to ignite. That's going to cause huge problems, as as you can logically think that underneath the, the surface. And or these oil streams and pools and and, uh, tunnels can go, you know, there could be huge fires under the surface for uh, thousands of miles even. I haven't seen that. I've just, I know that there will be, I had a client say that she was looking down, she was in Iraq, she was looking down the ground and she could see everything was on fire underneath, which was adding to the evidence that if there is going to be any kind of, terrorism with nuclear bombs, there'll be small, dirty bombs that might go off in Turkey. Then the Middle East is already arming with, uh, in Canada, we've been sending huge uh, armored vehicles over there for the last year or two, brand new ones, and everybody's preparing for this conflict. But what's really going to happen is that in the middle of all this, you know, arrogance of fighting... The world is going to to retaliate. The, the Earth has its own consciousness. If you can, it has its own soul, let's say, and it's going to retaliate by spewing out lava and by having earthquakes all around. And the Earth is already tilting. We've been warned by the. Uh, uh... inuit and also by the uh, natives in in norway the uh, if i don't want to use eskimos but those northern people in in norway they've already said the stars are going south
1: the laplanders
2: i believe that's that's it and the uh... thank you richard and the uh, the planet's tilting backwards which means it's slipping on its axis which means at any moment it could flip over ninety degrees or even hundred eighty degrees i don't know but that's when the oceans will rock out of their basins Basically, uh, causing huge problems for people who live along the coastlines, and then the armies, and navies will all be used to uh, go into rescue mode and, and try to rescue the people who are in great difficulties. And that's where I think that why well, there's not going to be a third world war, and those predictions of of uh, people uh, who have left them behind in the Vatican have said that the uh, the. The loss of life is going to be enormous because when the oceans rock, they're going to go inland with tidal waves—100, 200 miles. A lot of people who live along the east coast and west coast of our continent; will be gone in a flash.
1: What about uh, We just have a, um, about a minute here. What about the likelihood of some sort of EMP event uh, where it's lights out, grids shut down? Uh, throughout North America, even former ABC journalist uh, Ted Koppel, 42 years with uh, ABC, is now sounding the alarms, and he says this is a real and present danger. Whether it's created by a, uh, a, a, a mass ejection from the, the sun, a coronal uh, event, or uh, perhaps man-made, the detonation of a, a nuclear bomb over the you know in the atmosphere.
2: I think that's going to happen, and I think when this when the when the water receives... There will be uh, large centers in the middle of the continents, and we're going to we're going to have that blackout. Um, we're going to lose all our... Co- you know, everything now is in computers. We're going to lose it all. All right. You know, well, on
1: that happy note,
2: no, <laughs> no, we've got no, to... It's all for the better, though. Remember, it's going to bring us back to a thousand years of peace. Remember, this was all God's plan. This is not bad. We can change it if we start loving each other right now today. We've got to take care of each other right now today. All right, Douglas. Always
1: a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. God bless. DouglasJamesCotrell.com, My website, strangeplanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. As always, follow the truth.
0: Listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarri from Zuma Radio, AM 740. A very blessed Easter.
1: And for those of you celebrating this week, uh, thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, camper, RV, taxi, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Uh, a special how-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, the mighty Zuma Radio. 50,000 watts of peace and love coming to you from our cozy studio here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Canada. History professor John Kerner, author of Hunting the Nazarene, is standing by to talk about his controversial theory of the second resurrection of Christ. Uh, We'll get to that conversation in minutes. Uh, Welcome to all of you listening in on the uh, the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com and TalkZone.com, those who take the show with them. Uh, on their smartphones and t- tablets by downloading the free apps, Zoomer Radio and the Conspiracy Show app. Uh, incidentally, the Zuma Radio app has just recently been upgraded and it is very, very cool. Uh, check it out and uh, be sure to get that. Uh, those listening in, of course, on one of our affiliate stations across North America. However, and wherever you're listening to the Conspiracy Show, I bid thee a very warm welcome. Uh, please visit the live events page at strangeplanet.ca for more information on the Bilderbergs event featuring Daniel Estulin happening Sunday, April the 17th. Daniel will be on the program next week, incidentally, for a sneak preview. Uh, you can order tickets online uh, at strangeplanet.ca or go to see Patrick and Kadina at Conspiracy Culture, 1344 Bloor Street West. Or by phone, 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696. 1696 or online, conspiracyculture.com. The Bilderbergs with Daniel Estulin. Sunday, April the 17th, University of Toronto. Come on out. It's coming fast. The mighty Aphrodite uh, just sent me this story uh, just moments ago. A group of scientists claim to have created a simulator which can upload knowledge directly into the brain. You heard me correctly. Directly into the brain. In a breakthrough which promises new technology like that from the Matrix... Researchers at HRL Laboratories have developed a program which they say can upload new skills and knowledge directly to your brain. The California based institution analyzed electrical signals in the brain of a pilot and fed the data to people who didn't have knowledge of flying planes via electrodes embedded uh, in a head cap, which simulated the correct regions of the brain or stimulated the correct regions of the brain. The participants who were fed the information via electrodes were then pitted against a placebo group on a flight simulation test, which found the former group performed an average of 33% better than the latter. Wow! Are you kidding me? This is fantastic. Uh, Hook me up, I say. Okay, to the main entree, shall we? John Kerner is an author of several historical books and a professor of American history. His latest book, Hunting the Nazarene, the Second Resurrection of Christ, cites historical evidence and a secret mathematical code in the Gospel of John, making a compelling case that in the mysterious 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was hunted down again, executed, and resurrected a second time. John Kerner, how are you? I'm doing good, Richard. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Wow, this is a, uh, a pretty controversial uh, thesis that you've laid out here in Hunting uh, the Nazarene, uh, the idea uh, that there is contained in the in the Gospel of John this secret mathematical code uh, that lays out the case that Jesus after he rose from the dead and uh, you know continued to walk the, de- the the earth for another 40 days, he was hunted down, executed and resurrected a second time. Now, We'll we'll get into that uh, in some depth here in a moment. But first, I have to ask you, as an historian, this this is kind of a a strange, not a strange, but uh, uh, a curious undertaking for an historian, because as you point out in the book, you know, this is not a, a a topic that historians normally will tackle. The idea of God, you know?
4: No, it isn't. I mean, I teach U.S. history, and I've been teaching history for about ten years now on the college level, and there's a real fear of teaching history to be lambasted as one who just practices the faith and, and, does, and preaches it in class. I don't do that. I want to show my students in the world that there is a way to look at history and faith from a fact-and-evidence-based approach, and I think my book does that.
1: Well, because, I mean, one can make the argument that certainly the, um, the Bible is, an, is a wonderful historical document, and, and you know, archaeological, archaeological digs Continue to to reinforce the uh, I guess the, the the veracity of of the Bible.
4: Yeah, and I think well, I've done two other books about uh, looking at historical events through a fact based approach. I did a book about Father Nelson Baker and Father Patrick Power, two men who were known to be miracle workers. And I did not want to do those books, trying to say that they were working miracles from God's standpoint. I was trying to see if there were evidence that I could prove as an historian that these miracles took place, and also ruling out those that did not kind of fit the bill for what miracles were. So trying to look at miracles, this story about Jesus, from the standpoint of evidence, facts, and logic, and not from a believer.
1: All right. Now, how did you go down this road? The idea that that Jesus uh, was hunted down after he rose from the dead, executed, and resurrected a second time. I I have to say, I've never heard this... Uh, before. How did you know, uh, for example, to look to the Gospel of John for this mathematical code? How did how did you stumble upon this?
4: Well, it's been a long journey for me, and this has taken several years to come to this conclusion. And I think if if you look at this logically, uh, and I would like the Vatican to, to comment on this, I, I want to challenge them to, to say, and any readers of the book, to say that I'm wrong, because I've written the book in such a way that that every step forward, every chapter, is meant to build off the previous chapter and show how I came to these conclusions. And the first question I asked is, if Jesus was walking the earth for 40 days in flesh and blood, as it is shown in the Gospel of John, why would the Sanhedrin and Pontius Pilate allow him to do that? He would still be a threat to them, and they would they would want him dead. So I I first reached that conclusion, and then I looked into the Gospel of John, and if you read chapter 20 into chapter 21 you can see that there is a radical departure between those two chapters. In chapter 21, the, the apostles have completely given up. They've also fractured into two separate groups. And in the previous chapter, chapter 20, Jesus has appeared to them twice and commissioned them to be priests. So somewhere between that, those two moments in time, something radical happens to destroy the co-leadership group and cause them to fracture apart. I concluded that would have happened is that Jesus would have been hunted down and executed by perhaps either the Sanhedrin or Pontius Pilate.
1: So, so again, as you point, as you say in the book, there's this—you call it a huge narrative gap between chapter twenty in John, Mm -hmm. when when Jesus has appeared to the disciples and uh, some five hundred other people, according to uh, to Paul, uh, and uh, you know, it looks like the church is moving forward. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in, in chapter 21, the disciples are are running for their lives.
4: Right. So we can just build off chapter 20 to start there. Uh, Jesus has two appearances, one on Easter Sunday night, and then one seven days later to the apostles again, both of which are meant to convince them that they need to start the church. He gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is important. He also tells them that God the Father himself has endorsed their actions, So all three members of the Holy Trinity have endorsed these apostles to begin the church, to start Pentecost right then. And then the very next paragraph, Paul tells the other apostles that he is committing apostasy. He says, I am going fishing. And Jesus has told them that is the one thing they they cannot do. They are no longer fishermen. They are fishers of men. So the, 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 the leader of the group, the co-leadership group, is going to depart to Bethsaida, back to Galilee, and give up the mission. One paragraph later. Also, it's not all of them. It's only seven of them. So four other men are not even there. So not only have they given up, they've also split up. And I also calculated that, yes, in chapter 21, Christ appears to the apostles a third time. And he has this breakfast, breakfast with them that morning, and that begins the church again. The, the apostles are once again fishers of men. Peter is recommissioned as pope, and the church is given new life. So that's the 40th day, the last day Jesus appears to them on the earth. So you have day 7, which is the end of chapter 20, and day 40, chapter 21. Thirty-three days transpire between those two chapters— so it makes completely no sense that there would be no information given by by John. So I speculate that a missing chapter has to be there that contains a narrative bridge that explains why the apostles are giving up and committing apostasy. They must have concluded that Christ was hunted down and of course executed.
1: So again, in in those thirty three days between day seven when he appears to them and 33 days later when he appears to them in chapter 21 for the third time in those intervening 33 days that's when Jesus according to your calculations and your research was hunted down crucified again and then resurrected a second time
4: well I don't think he was crucified I think he probably was killed in a different way and I think that the way John tells us how they had that breakfast is how he tells us how he was killed uh, that breakfast Jesus has with the apostles is so key to this whole story. The, the morning of the 40th day is a Thursday morning of the 40th day. He's breaking bread with them. And that event is in every way the opposite of the Last Supper. If you take a look at how it's written by by John, I mean, everything about it is opposite. It is a breakfast instead of a supper. They're at dawn instead of at dusk. They're outside instead of outside on the ground instead of inside and at a table in the upper room. They have bread instead of fish to eat. It's a breakfast that's short instead of a long supper. Jesus prepares a meal for the apostles instead of it being prepared for them. Also, after the meal is over, Peter says three times that he loved Jesus. And after the Last Supper, he denies Jesus three times. So everything about it is in every way opposite
1: of the Last Supper. The opposite, right. So, so what does that mean?
4: Go does ahead that mean? Peter, go ahead. Well, I'm trying to say that John is telling us that this meal is not just opposite, but also the same, as, as the same importance as the Last Supper. So his symbolism here is telling us, because of how they're having the meal, he wrote it opposite in every way of how the Last Supper was written. So I believe that he's telling us then that the timing then the be opposite for the second death and the second resurrection. They're giving us the information right there.
1: But any clues as to how he was killed, the second time?
4: Well, if you look at the Last Supper, Jesus has wine and bread to eat, which symbolizes his his body and blood. That's how he was killed. Right. The body and was crucified. The blood was shed. What the, at this breakfast with the last with his last meal he has with his apostles, which by the way he has not have a meal with them in either of the two other appearances in chapter 20. Just this appearance, there's a meal. That's how important this is. This meal, they're only eating fish. There's nothing to drink. So I think John is telling us that is how he died a second time. Fish are born in water. They're reborn in water, like like Jesus was. I think Jesus was drowned. He deliberately wanted to drown himself, and he died in water and was resurrected in water. That's, how I believe, John's telling us the second death took place by the meal that he has with the Apostles there.
1: Hunting the Nazarene John Kerner, my guest, and uh, we'll uh, take a time out here shortly and come back and continue to look at the historical evidence including, we'll get to this, the secret mathematical code in the Gospel of John, and John uh, Kerner makes a, uh, a compelling case In the mysterious 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was hunted down, executed, and resurrected a second time. We'll get back to that conversation uh, in just a few moments. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us.
0: We will be right back. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740.
1: Hunting the Nazarene, the second resurrection of Christ. John Kerner, uh, my guest. All right, so this uh, mathematical code that you found mm-hmm. in the Gospel of John, how did you find right. it? Very
4: strange night ahead, Richard. It was... Um, it was on Holy Thursday night, this occurred to me, by the way. It was a very unusual night, and I was just trying to analyze the timing here, and I was so struck by what John was saying with this breakfast. So again, Jesus has this, this breakfast with the apostles, this third appearance, final appearance with the apostles on the morning of the 40th day. And I just try to explain that in every way, it is opposite of the Last Supper, So I would just kind of explain that the apostles should have started the church in chapter 20, but they did not. They broke apart and also gave up. So I'm saying that sometime in those 33 days between the second appearance and the third, there must have been this second death and second resurrection, which would have been in this missing chapter between the two of them. Right. So I would imagine, logically, that if there is this opposite importance of that breakfast mirroring the importance of the of the last supper the timing must be opposite too so the timing is very specific you have 6 p.m holy thursday is when passover begins on that thursday night that's when the last supper begins when you have 6 a.m on sunday of the resurrection morning Easter sunday morning that's 60 hours So if you take 60 hours from 6 a.m. of the 40th day and go backwards in time, that would give you the time of the second resurrection. That's my thesis. So that would be you land on 6 p.m. of the 37th day. That gives you this time of the second resurrection. You also need to go back 39 hours from that point to the time of the second death which gives you 1 a.m. of the 36th day. So if you, if you play the time out in reverse order, using the same time frame from the first Holy Supper, the first death, and the first resurrection, and just bring those backwards in time, the, the timing that I get is the following order. We have resurrection number 2, 37th day, 6 p.m., death, Number two, 1 a.m. on the 36th day, and you have the final meal with the apostles on 6 a.m. of the 40th day. Now, what's special about this is it plays out, again, opposite in order. So you have this second Holy Week would would begin with death on a Sunday and a meal on a Thursday morning. The first Holy Week was opposite. You had a meal on a Thursday night and new life on a Sunday. So it's all opposite. So my theory then is Jesus died on the 36th day at 1 a.m. and was rose from the dead a second time on the 37th day. And I can prove the apostles left Jerusalem on the 36th day without any question.
1: And how, how would you do that?
4: Well, again, I looked at this. I said, well, if I'm saying Jesus left, I should say Jesus died on the 36th day when he's walking the earth, I have to prove beyond any doubt that the apostles broke apart and left for Jerusalem on the 36th day. You have to prove that to make this all reality. So the, the last day Jesus is on this earth, the day number 40. Again, he appears to the apostles that morning on day 40. That's his final day on this earth with them. He has that sacred breakfast with them with the fish. They're back on board with the plan. The core group is back together. And they're, they're back as, as a fighting force for Jesus. So if I could prove that they left for Jerusalem to get to, to Galilee on day 36, then I've got it in the bag. Well, basically, you look at the Gospel of John. The apostles arrive in Galilee the day before, on the three-ninth day. They get there the, the night before to start fishing immediately. And the the Gospel of John says this. So the previous day they're fishing that night, so they arrive on on day number 39. And the the following morning into the night, they they catch nothing. Christ appears to them the following morning. So we know for a fact they're in Galilee fishing on day 39. So I found out through some research that it is a three-day journey to go from Jerusalem to Bethsaida. So if you go backwards in time, the the apostles left Jerusalem for some reason on day 36. The first day of travel goes from that Sunday into Monday, that's day one. The second day would be Monday into Tuesday, and the third day would be Tuesday into Wednesday. That's three days of travel. So for whatever reason, the apostles left Jerusalem on the afternoon of the 36th day to travel to Galilee to go back home a three-day journey, which lands them right there on the 39th day. So we can prove, beyond any doubt, that they chose to break up on the 36th day. The same to saying, the code tells us, Jesus was killed a second time.
1: The, the, supposing that this, this is all true, the question remains, you know, why would Jesus feel the need to resurrect a second time?
4: That's a great question. I wanted to answer that in the book, too. Now, one thing I want to admit is I don't have all the answers, okay? All I'm saying is that the evidence has led me to this conclusion. And I want more people to talk about this, read the book, and, and find their own facts and evidence to support it or, or, you know, whatever they want to do, criticize or whatever. But I have come to the conclusion that there are logical reasons why he, he would want to do this. Uh, first of all, I think after he rose from the dead, He realized that there was probably more work to do, otherwise why why stay around for 40 days. I think that he started to realize that the apostles were under a lot of threat of assassination, and that if they did not survive, then his church was not going to survive. I think he was going to suffer any way his father wanted him to. If that meant dying again for his apostles, he would do so. I think that if he showed Pontius Pilate or the Sanhedrin directly in front of him that he was the Son of God with his second resurrection, it could show them and perhaps frighten them into a compliance to protect his Church. Because if you look at the Acts of the Apostles, um, Pontius Pilate is nowhere to be seen. He does not assassinate the Apostles, he does not go after them, he leaves them alone. Here is a lot hold rallies to recruit people, and they start the Church without any objections from the Romans. And I think at that point in time, it is possible that Jesus, through this second resurrection, was telling them and showing them to leave the apostle alone and let the church grow. In fact, Pontius Pilate's wife, Claudia, was a key member of the early church. And I think she may have been part of this whole plan of Jesus to start anew with her help and showing Pontius Pilate and others this second death and second resurrection, to leave the Church alone and to allow it to grow. That's one theory that I have.
1: Interesting. Um, you, you dedicate part of chapter one to talking about the importance of Judas, and I guess, first of all, let me ask you, was there a second uh, Judas? Was there a need for someone else uh, to give Jesus up the second time?
4: Yeah, I think, uh, I speculate that John may have played this role, that he may have been able to guide Jesus through this. He trusted him so much that Jesus was, um, John was taking care of Mary at the time. And I think as time goes on here and Jesus realizes that that there is this need to perhaps test the apostle's faith, too, that if, um, you know, if he is thought to be killed the second time or, or actually was killed the second time, that it would be a way to show them and help them work through this and to test their faith to see if they're ready to start this church and to work with them and, and through these difficult times that way ahead. So it may have been a test of their faith. Also remember that Paul got this same treatment too. Paul was one of these people that was going to persecute the church and wasn't that persecuting the church. And Christ appeared directly to him and showed him through his divine power who he was. So that may have been what he had in mind here too with perhaps the leaders of descent injury uh,
1: and and since Jesus, uh, according to to this theory was resurrected a second time, where does that leave uh, a Judas who is was you know seen throughout history as the great betrayer uh, i mean if if Jesus rose again uh, and was or was crucif- not crucified but killed again, does that not lessen sort of the the, uh, the I guess, the sting of what Judas did?
4: Yeah, I think it really... I mean, if you look at Judas, some have viewed him more as a person that would hand over Jesus, and Jesus wanted things to happen a certain way according to his plan, and Judas was the one that would do this. The other apostles would not have the courage to do it or understand how to do what Jesus would want him to do. So, you know, to hand over Christ would be more of a task that this man could perform. Uh, but of course, that was often misconstrued later throughout history, and people wanted escape scapegoat for Christ, and he fit the bill
1: pretty well. We'll we'll um, get into some of these other aspects in a moment, but let me just jump to this. I think it's a crucial point, point. Uh, and that is, I mean, if he in fact was resurrected a second time, uh, that would make you know his his power and his glory even you know greater. I would think. Why then? expunge this from the biblical narrative?
4: I think because perhaps only maybe John knew about this and the other apostles had no knowledge of it. Luke, of course, was not an apostle, uh, neither was Mark, and Matthew, I think, in fact I know, was not part of the core group that left for Galilee. Only seven people left, not Matthew, when they broke into separate groups, so it's possible he wasn't aware of this either. So if John puts a second resurrection in his gospel that is not fit with the other three gospels. It is a radical departure, in fact, from them. So that would not fit the narrative of the other three. In fact, undermine them. It would be hard to explain why that's in there and not in the other three.
1: So the uh, when when the Bible was assembled, and I guess um, I guess I believe it was sort of completed. Was it at the uh, the Nicene Council? Right. Uh, was the decision then? perhaps made this is just going to be too confusing to people let's just keep it you know a nice night nice, neat, night neat, 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 a nice neat tidy package
2: one nice, one nice crucifixion
1: story. one resurrection
2: yeah
4: you can't I think it's hard to explain to people the need for a second one and again if you read the Gospel of John there is no other conclusion that you can make you read chapter 20 and the, the church needs to begin then the apostles have been appeared to twice by Jesus then them the gift of the Holy Spirit for courage. They should start the church on day seven, but they simply do not do so. And then the next paragraph, Peter tells all of them that he's giving up. He says, I'm going fishing, which he's been told never to do again. And not only that, they also break into into separate groups. Four do not go with him to Galilee. Four other men leave for points unknown. So they not only give up, they also split up. And again, I mentioned that Christ appears to them on day 40 at the end of the gospel there, and day seven is at the end of chapter twenty, so three three days transpire there. So who can tell me that John leaves out over a month of time? And you can believe that logically. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't. You can't convince me of that.
1: I, I asked you earlier on, uh, or I mentioned earlier on, that I've never heard this before. But are there, have there been historically other researchers that have been sort of hinting at this, and and uh, but were, well, were suppressed? Yeah.
4: Well, if you look at it, if you can piece this together, other historians have agreed with the point that I'm making about the apostles giving up, certainly. Uh, Edwin Hoskins, for example, he knows for a fact, he writes in his, in his works, he calls it apostasy, giving up your faith. So other historians have said, and theologians have agreed with me, that chapter 21 is nothing less than apostasy. The, the apostles have given up. Uh, this is, I don't see how you can reach on the conclusion, though, that they're giving up because of, of why must be some radical reason why they would do so. Another point to make here, too, is remember in chapter 20, a key figure is, is mentioned there, Doubting Thomas. Right. Jesus appears to him, shows him that he's flesh and blood. He shows him his wounds. He says, put your hands in, in my, my side, my fingers, you know, see, see everything here, you know, I'm real, I'm, I'm resurrected. Thomas is one of the men who also gives up in chapter 21. That is a very bad sign. Well
1: yeah, you think what is it? what a disbelieving lot he he appears to them he, he rises from the dead once that's not good enough when he's when he's hunted down and killed the second time they give up yet again listen we'll uh, we'll take a time out and uh, on the other side continue our conversation with John Kerner, author of Hunting the Nazarene: the Second Resurrection of Christ right here on the conspiracy show
0: Don't go away exploring theories uncovering facts and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Loose Lips Sink Ships and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We are back with John Kerner,
1: author of Hunting the Nazarene, the Second Resurrection of Christ. John is an author of several historical books, a professor of American history. He's also the founder of Paranormal Walks, and uh, he's appeared on America's Book of Secrets on the History Channel and William Shatner's Weird or What on the Discovery Channel. Uh, And uh, this book is, uh, well, nothing short of controversial, that's for sure. He is... uh, uh, he discusses a, a secret mathematical code that he's uncovered in the Gospel of John, and he makes a rather compelling case that in the mysterious 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was hunted down, executed, and resurrected a second time. And we come back to the uh, the point we were discussing just before the break, John, and that is uh, these disciples, what a disbelieving lot, a uh, doubting Thomas chief among them, uh, Jesus rises from the dead, and uh, when he's hunted down the second time, they give up yet again. Uh, I mean, what does it take (laughs) for these 12 (laughs) disciples to believe that Jesus was who he said he was?
4: Yeah, and the way that Jesus appears to them that third time, I think it also shows that they thought he was dead, because Peter runs to him, and John runs to him. They're, They're surprised as hell that he's there again. They can't believe he's there that he's that he's back they expect no one else but him because they are shame and horrified that they gave up and i mentioned before that i mean we just talked about the fact that thomas was this key figure this dramatic scene the 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 man that needed to be to to show the flesh and the wounds he is one of the men who gave up and then went back with the other six the other fishermen back to Galilee. So if he's in that group giving up, that's a very bad sign. And if you think about this logically, uh, the other four that, that didn't go with them, we have, you know, James the Lesser, sometimes called James the Younger. We have Jude is sometimes called, he's the same kind of name as Judas. Jude, they sometimes call him Jude. Uh, then you have Matthew and Simon the Zealot. These four people were related, probably some maybe have been brothers, but all of them were of the same kind of cut from the same cloth. Simon, James, and Jude, or Judas, sometimes they call that the same, Judas Iscariot. They all were zealots. Matthew was a tax collector. So those four would not want to go with the fishermen. So if you have seven leaving for fishing, for not going, that shows that there was a key split there with the apostles that proves that they were giving up. And the second part of the book I should mention, too, the second part of the book is fiction. So I wanted to try to look at all this in a fictional way, too, to try to make it more real to people. And I think that in that part of the book, you can see kind of how it plays out with the emotions of the group at the time, the infighting, the discussions that took place with the core group, how they would have split up and where they would have went. So that's how the second part of the book plays out.
1: Now, the, other, the contemporary historians, Josephus uh, of Philo, uh, are there any hints there that Jesus was was hunted down, killed a second time, and resurrected a second time, or would that have also been uh, sort of taken out of the the official record?
4: Well, I did mention them in my book in a uh, kind of a related way. That I'm saying in the book that one benefit Christ would have seen to make himself suffer more here in front of Pilate, especially him is to allow Peter and the others the, the breath and the space that they needed to start the Church. Because Pilate was, of course, ruthless in his ability need to maintain order, which, as you mentioned, is, is talked about by those two men, those historians. They talk, they chronicle his ruthless behavior, crushing any kind of resistance, including the Jewish people, all throughout his time in power. And there is no evidence that he does this in the Acts of the Apostles. Is completely counterintuitive. You would think that this man who agreed to put Jesus to death, to maintain order, with the help of the Sanhedrin, these would definitely have been the times when he would have wanted to keep the church crushed, maintain order, and keep it quiet.
3: The
1: Sanhedrin would have been operating under the assumption that Jesus' body was stolen from the tomb. Uh, Mm -hmm. They would have put a great deal of pressure on Pontius Pilate uh, and, and Roman soldiers to, to to locate the body, they would have been on the lookout for Jesus dead or alive.
2: Yeah, I, I really think that's how I came to this conclusion, too. I, I think if Jesus
4: is walking the earth for 40 days, I would not be in their interest to just put their heads in the sand and say he isn't risen from the dead. They need to understand it's a fact, and he's a, he's still a threat to them. He's still a criminal in their eyes, and he needs to be put to death a second time. So I, w- I would I would why would they not want to hunt him down? Why would Pontius Pound not want to kill him again? He still is a criminal. He's still a threat to order. So, given that fact, and Jesus would want to suffer, you know, to help the apostles to prove that they are worthy of the cause, perhaps to show that he's a son of God. The things we talked about before. I think it all makes some sense. It Absolutely, make
1: sense not to do this. Absolutely. All right, we'll take another time out. John Kerner, Hunting the Nazarene, back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
0: Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free one 866 740
1: 740. We are back with John Kerner, hunting the Nazarene, the second resurrection of Christ. Uh, the the critics might suggest, perhaps, that, well, maybe John, uh, uh, Gospel of John, verse 21, was put in there later. What do you, How do you, I mean, how do we know that, that that's, that it was even written by John? Well, again, it took a lot of time to,
4: to prove this in the book, too, and I think without any question, you can prove that it's, it's written by John, all of his works always have an appendix to them. The end of all of his, the the Gospel of John does, uh, the Book of Revelations do, he always has this second ending to all of his works. If it wasn't there, it wouldn't be written by him. Also, every time there's a key transition moving things from Galilee to to Jerusalem or back and forth, he always says, after this. And that starts chapter 21, the words, after this. There's also key phraseology that's definitely written by John. is repeated all throughout the, the gospel. He says, amen, amen, I say to you. Jesus says that in that chapter, chapters before. We also know that John says that this is the third appearance of Christ to the apostles in chapter 21. So that gives us the chronology there. One appearance, two appearance in chapter 20. And the third one in chapter 21. So he's timing them, one, two, and three through chapter 20 to chapter 21. So the timing, the phraseology, the fact that it's an appendix, and I mentioned other things in the book too, it all points to the fact that it was written by him in the right order.
1: How is this initially, I mean the book has not been out that long, how has the book been received? Uh, I mean have you have you talked to clergy, uh, Catholics or otherwise, about about your theory?
4: Uh, not yet, but I mean, I, I'm, the thing is what I want to do here is this, okay? what My purpose of the book, I think, is, is twofold, okay? I, personally, I feel felt compelled to do this, to, to follow the evidence. And secondly, I, I want to challenge the Catholic Church clergymen to read the book, look at the evidence, and tell me that I'm wrong. I want Pope Francis, the Vatican, to issue a statement about this. I believe that there is a missing chapter in the Gospel of John. I believe it's taken out. I think it's either in the Vatican archives or it was destroyed at some point, like at the Council of Nicene. So I, I believe it, this could be made into a movie, that the world should know about this. I think it's that compelling of a story. And if the evidence is followed by me and other people, I think you can conclude the same thing. Even during the course of writing the book, some unusual things have happened to me. I mean, it's just been unusual how things have played out personally, writing the book.
1: Can you share some of those?
4: Yeah, just a couple of them. I I don't want to seem like this was inspired or something, but just unusual things have taken place. Uh, This mathematical code I mentioned that I figured out it was Holy Thursday night when this took place, when I was figuring out the mathematics behind it. I said, well, this is Holy Thursday. This is unusual, the timing of that. It's kind of serendipitous. Secondly, I was writing uh, the death scene Uh, for Jesus, the second time he died. And uh, the second part of the book I mentioned is is fiction, based off the evidence of the first part. And uh, as I was running the scene, there was this violent thunderstorm outside of my house, crashing, whitening, all throughout my running the scene. And when I finished running the scene, it ended immediately, it just stopped. Wow.
3: You were getting a sign.
4: It was very strange. And then um, for the past year... I have been seeing the number 66 all the time, as much as 10 to 15 times a day. Not 666, but something quite different, but right, 66. Right. And that number is an angelic number. It's a guidance number. So anyway, just, just unusual things. Um, the timing of things has been unusual. Um, and again, I, I tried to look at when I wrote the book from a skeptic's point of view. I mean, could, you, could you, anyone tell me what's wrong with the book or I flawed? And I've said, well, if you can say this or that, then here's my response to it. I have an answer for you. I can say that you're you're wrong because of logic and evidence, not from faith and belief.
1: What does this mean for Easter then? Uh, does this mean that we need to we need to perhaps invest less in the uh, in, in the in the passion because it was only the the, the penultimate crucifixion or, or, or death of Christ I mean how, do, how should, do we need to rethink Easter I guess is my question
4: I think we might have to yeah I mean I think Easter may have been only the first part of his plan uh, why would Jesus spend 40 more days on earth if it wasn't for something important I mean it doesn't make any sense there, there would need to be more that he would feel worthwhile to do in those 40 days to spend that long on this earth and everything, of course, is according to his plan, how he wants to have things done. He would submit to this willingly. So the early church, of course, the fish was the key symbol for them. Not the crucifixion, not the cross. The fish was yes. what they
1: used. Yes, interesting. That's true. So,
4: and so the, that, they may have known about this and celebrated that meal of fish, not of bread and wine, but of fish. So I think that, the, that sacred breakfast, what I call primus prendium in Latin, the, the first breakfast— uh, when Jesus renewed the church with his apostles, when John is telling us everything is better now, everything is back to normal, Peter is back to loving Jesus, the apostles are back together, you know, th- everything is now as it should be. That is when they know he is back from the dead a second time. That is the moment when the church begins again. And there's th- such a key event there. Before that breakfast, the church was completely dead The apostles were broken apart and they had given up to a life that they were told not to do and christ appears to them a third time they thought he was dead and they're back to renewed
1: life and a commitment to him what does this mean uh, for the gifts communion if it was that it wasn't well it was the last supper but the the, perhaps more attention needs to be made to the final breakfast and you say that the meal was fish does that mean we need to rethink um you know the uh, the gifts, uh, the communion, uh, the wine, and the bread?
4: No, I still think Jesus intended for us to celebrate that Mass. He said so, you know, in the Gospel of John, that this is his body and blood, and we should remember doing that. What may have been key here to, to remember is this may have been just for John, the Apostles, to know about. This may have driven just an event for them to celebrate and them to know about and to remember uh, the fish, the breakfast, the importance of it was for them, for Pontius Pilate, the leadership group to, to, to use among those salads for renewal. So perhaps it's not appropriate then for the church to have celebrations of fish because it's really only meant for that co leadership group to, to know about and to use. That might be the way you can get around having to celebrate meals of fish all the time. <laughs> uh,
1: how does the, uh, explain the, the, uh, the second resurrection? Um, I mean, how, how, do, how do you think that played out? Was he placed well, in another tomb? Uh, how does it play out? I would
4: yeah, I would suspect that if the crucifixion did not work the first time, that Pontius Pilate and the Sanhedrin would be reluctant to try that method again. Also, um, Christ tells us how he's going to be killed in the, in the Last Supper. You have the bread, and you have the wine. That's his body and blood. So John tells us at this breakfast, at the third appearance, that all they eat is fish. So if we're looking at the opposite there, as I mentioned before, the importance of the Last Supper and the first breakfast, and they're eating fish, then I'm saying that that is is Jesus's body there. He's showing the apostles this is his body, they're consuming his body, the fish. So the fish is unique, because the fish, like Christians, is born in water. is reborn, it's baptized in water. So what I'm saying here is that John is telling us that is how Jesus died a second time. He he died in water. Right. He was he died and was reborn in water. That's that's the symbolism there.
1: And and how about the res the, the second resurrection?
4: Yes, I'm saying that he he rose from the dead a second time in water. In water. That's how okay. it would have happened.
1: Would would and, would and, and, it have been instantaneous or would it have been? I mean, of course, the resurrection took three days the first time. Any ideas to how?
3: Right.
4: Yeah. The timing would play out separately in the same way. So you get the timing, it's 39 hours from 3 p.m. on Friday to 6 a.m. on Sunday. So you go backwards in time, 39 hours from the 37th day into the 36th day, the day before, 39 hours. Right. According to my mathematical code. So, again, it's just go through this again. So you have that first breakfast, the 40th day, it's 6 a.m., then you go backwards in time, 60 hours, to give us the time of the second death. That's the 37th day, 6 p.m. Then you need 39 hours before that to give you the time of the first death, which is 1 a.m. on the 36th day.
1: I'm just trying That's to all imagine.
4: The same time. Right. It's all the same time from the first time. You just take the same times from the first Holy Week and just backwards it in time in the second Holy Week. You begin on the morning of the 40th day, and just go back in time with the other, with the same time frame.
1: But I'm just trying to imagine: Would after he was drowned, would he have been? Do you think placed in a tomb again, and that tomb once again sealed and, and heavily guarded, and so forth? Or
4: I would think that the way I have this in the second part of, the, of my book, I the way I portray the scene. And again, when I wrote this, as I mentioned, thunder, lightning crashing down right, outside right. my house. Um, Christ willingly brings himself to Pilate, to his chambers, with the Sanhedrin there. He calls them together, and he basically gives them an ultimatum. He, he tells them that it is time to stop persecuting his church, and he's going to show them firsthand that he's the Son of God with the second resurrection. And he brings himself into this pool of water. He allows himself to, to drown. And then the following day, he rises from the dead on the 37th day. That's how I have it played out. And then I mentioned in the book that that 36th day, when they say is happening, according to my mathematical code, the apostles left that day from Jerusalem to Galilee. And we said it's a three-day journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. And they arrived on the 39th day. So we know for a fact they chose that day to leave and give up. The day I'm saying the code gives us for the second resurrection. Say right. for the second death, rather, it all plays out. Point to the, to the math.
1: Are there any clues? Do you think to be found in the apocrypha or uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls or even uh, the Talmud or maybe the uh, the the books that were uncovered? I believe in the uh, in the Sinai. Was that the Nag Hammadi? Mm-hmm.
4: Well, the one thing I want to point out too—that's possible, but. Is, would it be covered up again, according to this plan they're talking about, to make sure this was not known about? Also, think about the uh, the creed. Why does it say that Jesus rose again from the dead? Why is the word again in there? Ah, interesting. The word does not need to be in there. Interesting. That may be a clue of what we're talking about here. We read the Apostles' Creed, and you read the Nicene Creed, the word again is in there. And in fact, I put that in Latin in the book. Um, the Latin version of the creed.
1: Well, they were a little and sloppy, boring, weren't they? So. Not uh, not getting rid of that again.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they shouldn't be saying he uses rose from the dead. You should just say he uses rose, from that, rose again. So, I think that might be one way we can point to some clues that are out there.
1: Uh, I know this isn't the subject of your book, but uh, Easter can't pass without me mentioning uh, the Holy Shroud, which I think is you know the most. Debated relic, probably ever. Uh, Any thoughts on the shroud of Turin as to its authenticity? Uh, Since we're talking resurrection, well,
4: yeah, I've looked into that quite a bit. And and the one thing that that bothers me is that when people talk about the evidence about when they did the the evidence trying to date the shroud back in time, that they picked part of the shroud that was destroyed. They had been burned and handled by a lot of people over time. They picked the worst part to do the, the analysis. Right, they did they the
1: carbon dating done. on a on a, a yeah. piece of patchwork.
4: Yeah, I mean they they took the worst part to do the dating with. And if you look at the evidence of it. It looks like it kind of matches with what you know Christ you know would have looked like his height and weight and matches up the passion of where he was, you know the crown of thorns the stab on the side. it, it seems authentic. But what's interesting to me about it is you may have seen this um did a program where they tried to figure out what, what the face would have looked like yes in the yes and that is striking you can see it, jesus's face and that i think is worth checking out if you haven't seen that
1: absolutely well john this is a fascinating uh fascinating thesis and i congratulate you and uh invite listeners, to pick up a copy of Hunting the Nazarene, the Second Resurrection of Christ, and making up their own minds. Very quickly, how can people get a copy of the book?
4: They can get the book on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. My website has my contact information. I'd love to talk to anyone about the book, perhaps make this into a movie. Turnemawalk.com is on there. Contact information, I think, have that on the website. So please do contact me, and please read the book.
1: John, thanks very much for this. I enjoyed it.
4: Richard, thanks for having the courage to have me on. I appreciate everything you've done.
1: Thank you so much. John Kerner, Hunting the Nazarene. All right, that's it for us. Thank you to uh, Ian Albert, John Franz, all of you for listening back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.